Welcome to the Food and Beverage Processor Forum, brought to you by Food and Beverage Ontario. I'm Dyson Wells. And I'm Chris Conway, CEO at Food and Beverage Ontario. Coming up on today's show, growing the next generation of industry leaders. It's no secret that the industry is pressed to attract a sustainable inflow of talent to its field, but that's only part of the picture. With intense competition among adjacent industries to attract talent, and about a quarter of the workforce set to come to retirement age by 2025, the push is on to engage with promising job seekers. But attracting new talent is one thing, growing the future of industry leaders is another. We dive into that in just a moment. Stay tuned. Chances are, if your career path has led you to a leadership position in your organization, as is the case with many of our listeners, then you know it's not a path you walk alone. There are many people who support you along the way, whether through mentorship, professional development opportunities, or just taking a chance on you. That relationship not only enriches your career journey, but plays a crucial role in shaping you into the leader you are today. Today's episode is about that journey. Here to help us explore how employers can connect with a young and promising generation, foster an environment where they can flourish, and arm them with the tools and resources to begin shaping their business for the better, we are joined by three industry experts who are at the leading edge of employee attraction, retention, and career development. Working passionately to develop food leaders in our region, we welcome FBO's very own Isabel Dopta, Director of Communications. Isabel is also the project lead for Careers Now, a platform that connects employers with qualified job seekers in the food and beverage processing sector. We're also joined by Nicole Gallus, who you may know from Careers Now Job Fairs and the Mentorship Series. Nicole is the founder of Food Grads, which focuses on closing the gap between student or recent graduates and employers in food food service and food processing. She's an experienced recruiter who's dedicated to helping young professionals find their perfect fit in the food and beverage industry. Nicole's enthusiasm for empowering the next generation of leaders and her deep understanding of the recruitment landscape make her an invaluable resource for both employers and job seekers. Finally, we welcome Carolina Rackton. Carolina is on the front line of career development and youth engagement. She's a career advisor with the University of Guelph since October 2016 and has worked for U of G since 2012. Carolina's portfolio includes targeted services for students from the Ontario Agricultural College, as well as focus on students with disabilities. Prior to 2016, she worked as an employment counselor, as well as a job developer within the employment Ontario sector. With the introductions out of the way, let's dive into our first question for the panel we have today. What values do young job seekers bring to businesses in the food and beverage processing industry? And why is it important for employers to invest in attracting and developing this emerging talent? 
Um, so I will hand that off to whoever's brave enough to answer the question first. I can go ahead <laughs> Thank <first>. you, Nicole. <laughs> Mainly because I want to make sure that I say something and that, you know, I'm sure Carolina and Isabella are going to have amazing answers. So um, what values do they bring? I think um, from what I've learned working with a lot of students and, and, and recent grads, um, you know, the, the pieces that we think are important um, are not as important as, you know, other generations um, in terms of um, lifestyle and opportunity and um, upskilling and, and investment into their career path. And so I think, um, you know, the values that they bring are they want to make an impact. They want to be part of the decision making and, and part of the strategy. So to put them in a, in, a, in a role and leave them there and not really give them the full picture of how their role potentially impacts the entire organization, I think is a missed opportunity because they really like understanding how they can support the business overall and, and why they're there, their purpose. I know that word is thrown around a lot, but it's thrown around because I think it's it's valid. And, you know, there's so much work to do in the food and beverage industry in terms of, you know, nutritionist, uh, nutrition, um, nutritional food and, um, you know, environmental impacts, sustainability. And it's such an amazing opportunity to bring young people in with those pieces in mind um, to tell them how they can make an impact, to show them the path that they can they can take. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting point that you you do have to recognize that you have to um, kind of uh, I was going to say to treat them differently. That's absolutely not what I'm saying, but you do have to recognize that they are a different demographic within your workforce. Um, their values, as we've kind of discussed uh, uh, on and off again throughout this podcast, is that they their values are are slightly different from you know your workforce that may be in a different generation. You can't treat them all as one uh employee really so great point thank you nicole i, I was just thinking dyson also it's isabel here about um the multi-generational workforce like we know right now that there are about five about there are five generations in the labor force and that is the same case for the food and beverage processing industry um each generation has different perspectives on what they value in the workplace and what they can contribute to the workplace and each generation um, really gives to our industry. And so it's very important to understand, like with young talent, you know, how can we attract them and what will keep them so that they're retained in a role in our industry for hopefully their entire career. And, you know, that really takes understanding the younger generation. Uh, we have to do our research mm -hmm. to make sure we know uh, exactly what they need to feel that they can succeed in a role, but it's also finding ways to communicate. Like with Careers Now, we do a lot of work on social media, as you all know. And the reason we do that is because that's the way to reach a younger audience. Sure, uh, Nicole like generously goes out and meets with students directly in person, but we also have to reach them through the means that they like to communicate. And so that's where we're talking to them on social media. You know. When it comes to like another demographic, let's say new Canadians, we may not be reaching them there, but we have to be sure with careers now that we're really tailoring our strategies and our engagement strategies in ways that, you know, young talent um, want to be reached. And, uh, you know, fundamentally, we've got to do this because with young talent comes great ideas, fresh ideas, new innovation, new technology, new solutions. 
um, and often like excitement, right? And enthusiasm and, and uh, just love that about what careers now is doing and trying to connect to those, to those folks. Yeah. We definitely have a stack deck here um, to, um, to sing the praises of careers now. Um, and that, 100% was intentional on my part. <laughs> I did want to get a chance a bit to, to highlight to people that, that, that this resource is available and the beauty of it is it's free and it's a wonderful resource. It's an entire employment suite. So um, we'll be hearing more about that for sure, I'm certain. I was just going to add a comment about, about dealing with young people. And, you know, it's, it's, it's become so different in terms of how you communicate to that segment. Um, I participated a few years ago in a, in a market research exercise, which turned into a marketing exercise. And we got a company involved that, that really markets to young people. And it is very, very different. There's a whole other conversation going on out there um, for most of us, for most of us. So that, you know, social media, that sort of thing. Like you look at the rise of the famous YouTubers, things like this, all this stuff that's happening with young people. A lot of us, I've had a few experiences I know with my own sons where I've just been completely unaware of something, um, you know, and it's someone who's, I, I guess, in their world, very well known. So they have completely different ways of communicating and uh, really have to get our head around that. And it, then it translates to the values as was discussed, right? So things that we've seen in the research, like, you know, do you, you know, is there, is there a gym nearby? Are there extracurricular activities in the company and so on and so forth? A lot of that's been impacted by COVID sadly, um, and is slowly starting to make its way back. But, uh, I personally found in my own experience, yeah, very, very different. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to chime in also on what Nicole had kind of said too on, you know, that they want to make an impact, um, which is huge. So I think that the value that they that they have to add is they really do care about making a difference and they really do care about what the company is all about at its core more than just the job or the salary or the perks i mean all of that stuff matters as we all kind of need need to live one way or another and support ourselves and our families but um i wanted to bring up the fact that in our in our department and i know a lot of other schools are kind of getting on board with this, we use this tool called the challenge cards. Um, and it's based on, um, I hope I don't butcher this explanation. They're the founder of the challenge cards. His name is JP Michelle and his company is called spark path. And, um, he's created this tool based on the premise of, we need to stop asking young people what they want to be when they grow up. Right. And because what that leads to is, um, them thinking of what jobs do I know about? I'm going to pick one from this list or this list that this career tool spits out for me potentially, right? Um, and he's done some studies that have shown that there's at any given moment about 20,000 jobs that exist in the world. And if you ask an individual to name how many jobs they know about, it's 50, 100, if you're lucky, 200, right? So we're lim really limiting ourselves that way. Um, and so he, he talks about let's flip the narrative of career development. And instead of looking at um, what do we want to be, what jobs can I do? Let's look at what challenges do I want to work on in the world? What problems exist today? What do I want to address, solve, improve or make better? So sometimes even when I'm working with a student, even without using the tool initially, when they seem kind of lost, I'll just ask them that question. Well, what bugs you? What's something that keeps you up at night? What kind of a challenge you know, do you think about frequently that exists in the world that you'd like to work on? And what does that mean? And this approach is about working backwards and deciding, okay, well, now I know my challenge. 
then how can I work on this? What are the possibilities? So we look at what companies work on these challenges and working backwards from there, okay, what jobs exist within these companies and allow me to work on these challenges? And in what way does that fit with my skills, um, my values and so forth, my interests? So it's a way that um, from the get-go, you feel connected to what you do. There's a purpose behind it, regardless of the job title. And it's also preparing for the future of work because as we know right now, jobs are coming and going faster than ever. Um, and with AI and everything, and we're just learning about ChatGPT over here and how that's impacting our jobs. So um, it's really important to kind of know what it is that drives you, what's the challenge that you're working on. And then from there, every decision kind of makes more sense um, as, as to why you're going to that next step, even if that job title doesn't exactly seem on the outside in line with what um, you know, what you were set out to do in the first place, you have a reason because it's the challenge you're continuing to work on. So I just wanted to, uh, that really resonates with students. I would say when I tell them about the different tools that we have available that they can access, they really do gravitate to the challenge cards tool um, and to uncovering their challenges and then learning about how to do that research and find out about those companies and so forth. So I think on the flip side, companies need to do a really good job at uh, talking about, you know, here's what, how you make a difference through the individual job that you do, regardless of the job. Here's how you contribute to sustainability or climate change or whatever the challenge might be that um, that individual is interested in. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's excellent. Um, so I guess I, I kind of had an, another question. I'm reading it. I'm wondering whether it's a fair question because uh, it's kind of loaded. This is a big topic, so I really did struggle. I have probably 20 questions that I listed out, and there's no way we're going through it. But um, my second question was kind of looking towards, um, you know, the job seeker side of things and, um, you know, wondering what kind of skills and attributes they should be looking at to to bring towards the industry. Um, what kind of attributes would an employer be able to identify out of these individuals to identify them as potential leaders, um, as well as how can employers then cultivate these skills. So I guess it's it's kind of a three-parter, uh, really. Um, how do you identify uh, a leader uh, that that maybe in your organization, maybe you're just hiring them? Um, how can um, job seekers uh, maybe attain these kind of skills or learn to to acquire these kind of skills? And then finally, how do employers help foster those those skills so that they can grow into potential future leaders um so i mean feel free to pick one or three um but uh why don't we uh why don't we keep the order for this question and we'll go to nicole first um so just get your thoughts on this um it's a great question so i mean those terms soft skills are thrown around so much um uh, you know, and I think it does confuse people that haven't actually gone into the workplace and um, and experienced um, what it's like to work in a team and, and and how to actually use the skills. And they don't even really know what how to identify those skills until they're in uh, an environment. I mean, I have a son that works at McDonald's, and um, you know, he's part of the, the the kitchen crew, and he's 17. It's his first job. He's done it now for a couple of years, and I keep saying to him, "You don't realize the skills." Like he'll say, "Oh, I had a really." Um, interesting customer come through today and say this and and I you know I said well what did you say back and I said good for you you know that's 
conflict resolution, you know. I mean, why anyone goes to McDonald's and has a complaint to the kids, in the, you know, behind the window, I, I have no idea. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, I think it, it's those types of skills that, um, that they need. I'm working with a lot of co-op students right now and seeing how they work with each other, how they take direction, how they use um, downtime. Do they use an, uh, their initiative? Will they ask for more um, more work if they're like, well, I'm waiting on something, but you know, um, no one told me what to do next. So I'll just sit here and wait till someone tells me what to do next. So it's like, you know, use your initiative. Um, you, we've had meetings, so you know what we're doing, the broader scheme of things. So are you, are you taking, um, are you thinking big picture on how you can jump in? So it's really um, how they um, can identify those different skills and, and, and name them, I think. And I think employers are very interested in, you know, in, in bringing on young people that, that have those skills, emotional intelligence, empathy is huge. I think understanding when you're in a, a, a team, you, you mentioned identifying leaders, and I personally think empathy is probably the best trait that a leader can have. Um, you can get so much out of a team, everyone's different. So just because someone's quiet in the meeting doesn't mean that they don't have great ideas and, and can contribute, but it's like, how do you get those ideas out of them? Like, how do you make them feel part of the conversation and how do you draw that out? So I think a lot of that is experience. It does come with experience, I should say, but. Um, you can definitely see those those pieces in young people when they when they join how empathetic they are how how they listen their listening skills. Um, I don't know if that truly answers the question, but that's my no, my two pennies. I think that definitely that. does um, <laughs> give a, a bit of insight on what what to look for in those soft skills, and um, it's also one of those important uh, reminders that you know when when inevitably you're going to get a resume and it's it's not going to be you know I I I have like five ten years experience already working in the industry you're you're gonna see um especially with the younger generation um uh, what would be perceived as not relevant necessarily in in the specific field but absolutely relevant to your team when you bring them on um so that's a that's a good tip is to to have a look at that and then in during the interview process um see what kind of qualities they bring forward and I, I'll just I'll just end uh, for um, I think it's really important, especially when you're bringing on young people, they are still figuring things out. So give them a minute to do some projects, work on some stuff. And then you really see you very quickly see the things that are coming back to you, the deliverables that are coming back faster. Like, OK, they they clearly like that because they're doing that faster. They're not working on that. So that's obviously even though they said they could do it and maybe they said they liked to do it, they didn't really realize what it was and so people gravitate to what they like doing and so I, I i think that's important to um to to allow them to show you what they're good at give them some projects um part of their onboarding i think that's really important if you can give them a couple of projects and ask them what project they want to work on and then you can really see where their skills are and then hone in on those and then you get the best out of your workforce that way mm -hmm. I would just add, I, I love the aspect in this industry of on-the-job training. I think that's a fantastic message for young people. Like, you know, when you start somewhere and if, if someone's willing to train you on the job, you know, doesn't that just say something about, you know, the fact that you're valued um, so that, you know, someone coming in doesn't feel like they're in a dead-end sort of role. Or, I mean, if you take a job working, let's say in the service industry, you know, um, 
certain types of positions, there may not be really that much opportunity for advancement. And then in this sector, you really can get the training and the skills, and we see that. Um, I think that's just such a fantastic thing for someone coming in uh, because there, there are a lot of places where you don't get that on the job. You don't get that opportunity. You're kind of, you have to go out on your own and do something. Um, so I think that's a real positive for the sector. Yeah, for sure. Isabel, you want to jump in? Yeah, I was thinking about, um, yeah, I was thinking about what was just being said. Um, so for sure, the technical skills are a given. I mean, uh, like, you know, if a young person is thinking about a food science career path and they've got to understand like what the educational requirements are there. And, and, and I think, you know, that information, Carolina, Carolina will comment, but is readily available. Where I see there's a growing discussion in our industry um, is around emotional intelligence. And Nicole mentioned this. And I, I think emotional intelligence and also sometimes referred to as soft skills or social emotional learning, so critical for leadership development. And I really do feel it's fantastic that the industry is now embracing this type of training. And some of it, like you said, Chris, is happening in-house. Um, some of it is happening through professional development outside of companies. But, um, you know, to really understand, like, what does it take to be a leader, to advance in your career through important emotional intelligence themes like, um, you know, like team building, like empathy, like resilience. And, and this stuff has come to the fore, I think a large part because of COVID, because we had to, as an industry, understand how to better connect with people, with the workforce, and make sure that they were feeling comfortable and supported. But I do believe it's a great direction to go. And I think um, that that's an area that any young person thinking about the industry and their and their potential to really develop in the industry to do that, to, to think about that training too, in additional to the technical skills. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to chime in and say, um, because my portfolio focuses on students in the Ontario Agricultural College, as you mentioned, that includes food science, environmental science, agriculture. And prior to that, um, that began in about 2018. But prior to that, I was we were all general career advisors. There was a shift where now we're more focused. But I used to see all kinds of students, and I still do once in a while from every program, um, which can be a little overwhelming to remember all those career paths, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but uh, what I'm going to say is with all the events that I have been at, all the career talks I've been at, um, you know, just everything I've participated in, listened to, read, it always comes back to we need people that have soft skills. You can train on the rest. I hear the theme about this over and over and over again from employers. So I think, um, you know, taking that to heart is look for someone that will be that seems like they're going to be a good fit for your team and train on the rest and be willing to train. I also really believe in, in mentorship opportunities and internships as well as a way to get those skills um, up to par for what employers are looking for, because part of it, I think, is young people have a lot of pressure to do well in school. They're not quite sure what they want to do. They're trying to keep their grades up. Maybe they need part-time jobs. I used to work in student financial services, and just the stress of money alone with education costs rising, right, like can keep you from focusing on a lot of those other things, like how do I now develop my, my soft skills? And what does that even mean, right? So what about if employers also focus on developing some sort of mentorship opportunities to new hires where they can have other staff be leaders 
and have maybe regular meetings, not a supervisor or a manager, somebody else on the team that's kind of less intimidating, more relatable. And, on, and, and if we're saying we need soft skills, then, then have that person spell it out. I remember one of my first jobs as an intern in the summer. I had a six-month internship a long time ago. And I remember sitting in meetings and people were like, who's going to take minutes and talking about, and I'm, I'm looking at the clock. I'm confused. I have no idea what everybody's talking about minutes. And like, I was never taught this. I never worked anywhere before. So like spell out the basics because the young young people don't necessarily, unless they've been privileged enough to get into co-op and not everyone is, um, then they haven't experienced all of those little things that we don't even think twice about anymore. So even just tell them, you know, this is how this this is what meeting minutes are. This is how to write a proper professional email or whatever it is that you're looking for, um, because they might have not had that opportunity elsewhere. And I just wanted to also say um for employers to kind of find those leaders and help develop those skills. We all know about co-op um, at the University of Guelph. We're having um, we have two new courses in the OAC that have come about in the last few years called flexible internship courses. One's in agri-food and one's in the environment. And these are really unique opportunities. They're designed specifically for students who are not in co-op and to give them some experience. And it's flexible. It's about 40 hours. I don't teach the course, so I hope I don't butcher this, but it's about 40 hours and it's flexible to what the employer and the student can do and the time frame they can do it in and how often they want to work. And the beginning of these courses, as far as I understand, is actually um, professional job search skills, resume writing, those types of things. And then they go ahead and they apply for these internships. They're building employer connections. They're getting some experience. So if employers, you know, on the flip side, expanding their minds a little bit about, you know, how can I also get involved with students and these future leaders in other ways, other than what I know about, which is co-op um, through flexible internships or short term, you know, summer internships or new grad internship programs, open it up a little bit more that way for those students who maybe weren't able to get into co-op. Hmm. This, uh, I love how this conversation is going because it's flowing directly into my next questions and it's perfect. So thank you for the segues. Because <laughs> um, my next question was about um, mentorship programs um, and how um, mentorship programs and as well as uh, career development uh, initiatives, uh, obviously they're important. Um, they're very important. Um, what can companies be doing to make sure that they're efficient for their organizations? Because um, I think, I think a lot of employers understand that they're vital, um, and there's a lot of opportunity there. But I don't know. Um, I I know there's got to be a bit of question as to like what what do we specifically what should we be doing uh, in order to make sure that this is a fruitful endeavor um, and that we you know optimize our chance of of having this person get the best experience they possibly can. I think we lost Nicole, so that's our uh, order completely gone out the window. Um, so I'll, um, I'll, I'll ask Isabel. Yeah, sure. I mean, <laughs> please jump Nicole, in. Nicole for the careers now program, Nicole is definitely the expert in this area, but I can say that, um, two of the areas that we've been focused on with careers now that I think is really important for the industry is mentorship with, um, groups that are underrepresented in our industry. And, and two that we've put a focus on are indigenous youth and uh, young people that also have disabilities. And, you know, the requirements for both these demographics, there are, they may be different, 
for the workplace. And the best way to initiate any type of mentorship strategy is to just, in my mind, just to simplify it, like just to figure out like where, you know, where is the potential area for need? You know, if you're bringing in an, if you're bringing in uh, young people that also identify as indigenous, like wh- where, what can we do at, um, as an employer to make their experience better? Um, there are resources out there. We have them at Careers Now. And the same thing goes for um, people with disabilities. You know, what are the accommodations that may be needed? Um, you know, what, who can we work with? Like, who's an expert in the field of supporting individuals that have disabilities in the workplace? And what can we learn from them? So, and I think that basically it's just have the conversation. Just sit down and have a conversation um, with your new hires and make sure that uh, you know, you understand what their needs are and then make a plan to deliver. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a great point. Um, and, uh, the, the part, uh, with, especially with working with, with individuals with disabilities, um, brings so true. I, I remember that my first job, I worked for someone who was visually impaired. And, uh, of course, you know, during my interview, I, I completely shaved, you know, clean cut, all that kind of stuff, walked in and uh, two things happen. One, he says, I have 2% vision and I'm standing there going, I shaved. <laughs> Great. <laughs> and two, he he mentions that he had a very rockin' mustache. So absolutely pointless. But to the point was that when I started working with him, the way that he um worked especially when it was communications and and talking to him he used a uh, screen reader and that was an amazing way to uh assess what was written what was being communicated that i had never clued into before and it's something that i carry over to this day where i'll write something and i'll have the computer read it back to me to make sure that it sounds coherent and it and that it flows smoothly and it's just an absolutely different uh, way of of going about things that I otherwise wouldn't have really known about. Um, so they really, you really can bring adaptive new ways to doing business that that can completely change things for the better. I was just going to add a comment. I a number of years ago, I sat on the AODA, uh, one of the stakeholder groups for the accessibility legislation. And what surprised me when we really got in the discussion, it was a large stakeholder group, like there were 40, 50 people in the room at, a, at a, any given time, was just how far-reaching disability can be. So it's not something that's evident <laughs> in some cases. Like, you know, so you really do have to have that discussion and better understand. Um, and and for me, it was a learning process sitting in the room and listening because people would make comments about things. When you've got auditory uh, in some cases or visual or, you know, and so on. And as we got further in discussions, I personally learned a lot um, about that. So I think, you know, someone's perception sometimes of what's a disability is not necessarily the case. So, um, so I think people really need to, we all need to educate ourselves. Mm-hmm. I've thought about this a lot. Um, I feel like we're getting on a different topic, but it's a good one. Um, one thing I just wanted to say, going back to, you know, what can we do? Like on, on the note of disabilities, on the note of an effective mentorship program, just ask what people need. It's not it's not that hard, but we forget that, I think, in a lot of cases. Um, we try to do, you know, research and like high-level thinking and hiring um, what's it called? Um, 
now I'm blanking on the wording when, when you hire consultants to come in and, you know, like ask the actual people you're going to be serving what they need. <laughs> it's that simple. But on the note of disabilities, um, I think we make it out to be a bigger thing than it needs to be. I actually was preparing some notes thinking like, um, how do I want to phrase certain things for today on some of the topics that were presented in the email? Um, and I and I wanted to share um, with regards to, you know, disabilities and accessibility, um, talking about that at some point or another, we are all going to need accommodations in our lifetimes, whether we have a disability or not. It could be due to family. It could be due to all sorts of things. We're all human beings at the end of the day. We're not machines. So we're not going to, you know, work every day nine to five perfectly and not, no life issues are ever going to come up. So I think just rephrasing and, and having employers understand that it is normal for everybody to need some understanding um, and really, um, I think I put, I'm trying to find where I wrote it, but I, I think I had written down like really what I would call this is like human centered in work environments, as opposed to like, we talk about EDI and, you know, accessibility friendly, but really we're being human friendly because we're all human beings who need some flex, some understanding, possibly an accommodation or something once in a while. So even like, don't make it as big of a deal anymore. Just be open to the fact that we're all human beings with individual needs and be willing to sit down and learn about that person's needs and ask them, what do you need? What does this mean for how you can do your job or not do your job? Um, and I've found that even in personal experience, I've, I've felt a lot more comfortable and happy in work environments where supervisors and managers were able to have those open and honest conversations without judgment, as opposed to like, oh, maybe we need to send you to HR or this expert to talk about it. That's not my area. That's, that's very frustrating because again, at the end of the day, we're all just human beings who have our own needs at different times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th I think that's important when it when it comes to to organizations and how they're changing um, and, and how that can attract a, a younger workforce. Uh, the other the other element that uh, I, I admittedly don't know all too much about um, is how uh, employers are adapting and and adopting uh, new technologies um, in order to run their businesses. And I have heard that this is quite an appealing thing to the younger generations uh, entering the workforce. And I, I was wondering if maybe we can bring that discussion uh, to the forefront here. And, and I just asked the question, what, what is appealing about that? And, and, and what, are the, what are the outcomes? Is it really bringing in a younger generation of, of workers if an organization ups its um, technology and, and kind of starts using these more innovative uh, tools? Well, I would say it's linked back directly to productivity. I mean, at least that's, I think, the way the employer would look at it. Like when you have greater innovation and you have more technology and you're working in an advanced manufacturing space, then you're looking at opportunities to increase productivity. And if a business wants to grow, then uh, I, I think they want to become more productive. That goes hand in hand. And you also need really skilled individuals. And I think that's, you know, the, the wonderful thing about attracting young talent into our industry is that they bring new skills. You come out of school, you've got the latest knowledge, 
in a particular area, you're really primed for the job. And um, not to say that you can't teach an older dog new tricks, because we know that's possible. <laughs> but when you've got 20% of your workforce um, as a demographic that's going to that's going to retire within the next five to 10 years, like you almost don't have a choice. You've, you've got to look at ways to bring in young people. And if it happens to align with um, improvements that you want to make in your product and your productivity and the growth of your business, well, it's, it is like the, uh, sorry, but the quintessential win-win. I would agree. I just had a comment about, you know, one of our studies we had that talked about robotic palletization and how it ended up being a kind of a recruitment tool. So I think, you know, if you're a young person, you're looking at a company and you see this stuff, you say, wow, this is really cool. And I'm not going to be lugging boxes all day. Uh, you know, that I'm going to be doing stuff that's a little more interesting and I can get into this. And obviously, you know, I read something once saying, you know, the difference between sort of people who are younger and maybe uh, people who are older these days is, is how they use technology. Like people who've grown up with that, they're fully integrated with technology. It's like the joke, but if you take away a kid's phone, I mean, it's like, it's part of them. That's a very different relationship than what we had to technology growing up. Um, so I think the minute you can put that on the table, you're, you're drawing something in there with that generation inherently. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about it more when you said that, Dyson, from like the recruitment standpoint, um, just with regards to how much like I'm I'm more old fashioned. So I'm more on Facebook and a lot of the students I see are like Instagram and TikTok. And I have not even ventured, to be honest, into TikTok land yet. <laughs> um, so but thinking about, you know, leveraging those tools, if they're not already on hiring on talking about what are the challenges your company works on um, in order to attract that talent, highlighting that messaging, using those tools to engage the young people. I also was just kind of researching some um, related information yesterday in preparation for this. And I came across um, an article that had mentioned text recruiting software, which I've never heard of, but apparently this is a thing. Um, and I was like, that could actually work like short, quick, you know, screening questions, maybe via text or something. I'm not sure exactly how it works, but we all know today's generation prefers to text them than have a conversation sometimes, depending on, you know, what it's regarding. So maybe that's something to leverage in an effective way. Again, I don't know too much about the technology, but thinking about how can we make this as quick and easy, because that's the other piece is everybody's everybody wants short snippets of information now. Right. So how can you make parts of the hiring process quick and simple using and leveraging some of this technology. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they definitely like text. So uh, that makes perfect sense. And I have a feeling that perhaps I haven't seen this tool. It may be uh, tied to the chat GPT that we were talking about earlier. <laughs> okay. Well, that's, that's uh perfect. The next question I kind of have, um, is going to take a bit of a, a more bird's eye approach because it's about collaboration within the industry. And um, what I'd, I'd like to know is how important industry collaboration uh, in the development of is for the development of future leaders and what opportunities are there for employers to work together in this regard. It's an interesting conversation, I suppose, because um, it's something I wanted to ask because I know that we always talk about uh, employment and that's always an individual 
uh, company's uh, initiative. Um, but I was thinking about, for example, with like careers now, this is um, something that FBO is obviously supported by an entire industry and, and we're running these organizations to attract new talent. So um, I just wanted to see if anyone's got any input on uh, perhaps how organizations are collaborating in this regard. Maybe no, a difficult I, I, lo <laughs> I love that question. And um, I've got to start it by saying a good friend of mine one, once said that when people are talking about collaboration, make sure they're not talking about it with air quotes around it. Like collaboration has to be real. And, and I think it's, a, it mm -hmm. can be at times a difficult thing to make it real because we don't necessarily have like key performance indicators around collaboration that make a lot of sense, or we don't have like, you know, a framework for collaboration that helps us really gauge success. But in my mind, the way it works is people just being open and transparent about what they're doing and having honest discussions around like how, where can we work together how can we um lift each other up i mean when it comes to like i'll give you an example with careers now when it comes to raising awareness of our industry and the careers available like it's just a no-brainer that we have to work with um post-secondary educators for instance like you know with carol with carolina at the University of Guelph with our colleagues at Niagara College at U of T, because we all have to have a shared interest in giving like real authentic um, information to young people so that they can make the best decisions for themselves in their career path. And again, like that's about collaboration and people have to come to those discussions really open and willing. And that's where I think great things happen. Mm -hmm. Carolina, you want to? I would add a comment about careers now, right here, because I think, in my mind, that's just you know it's a shameless plug, I guess, but to say it's it's a fantastic example of collaboration, and um, I think the way that program's worked has illustrated to me really the power of collaborating well and leveraging those relationships, and as Isabel just mentioned with our post secondary education partners, it's a great example of that. Um, and with the Chambers of Commerce and other groups we're dealing with, like it's really just, it's a fantastic collaboration and really one of the best I've seen. So I just wanted to say that. I think that's really one of the one of the key aspects of the program that makes it you so know, powerful. Thanks for saying mm -hmm. that, Chris. I, I also feel one of the reasons that we've done well with the program, you know, with Food and Beverage Ontario's program, is that, um, some may argue with me on this or debate me on this, but it's almost like workforce development, talent attraction, these have almost, almost become pre-competitive issues now. Like everyone is struggling. And so if everyone is struggling, and we know it's not just our industry struggling either, like if all industry, if everyone is struggling, if everyone wants to do, to create a country and an economy and, and, and that is successful and, and families that can, you know, be successful and grow and people, it's a place that's, you know, Canada becomes a happy place, a good place to live as it is then working to, we have to work together. Like there's not the competitive piece as much. I really find that with careers now, like uh, people recognize we need to, we need to work together and attracting young people and making sure that we're connecting with them in a way that, that is relatable and resonates and then work with the stakeholders, um, like the educators as an example, uh, with the other nonprofit associations that are involved in workforce and make sure that we're all 
uh, pulling in the same direction for the benefit of the next generation of people working in the industry. Mm -hmm. It really does help create the, uh, make the industry uh, more attractive, I think, uh, when they start seeing that. And they, and they see that for sure. Carolina, you want to jump in? Yeah, my only comment here would be like, um, I think that with all, with separate organizations, employers collaborating, I'm thinking of job fairs, I'm thinking of careers now. I think we've touched on this already, but it is such a great way to attract people to the industry because then the you know, students, young people are able to see the vast array of opportunities that exist. And again, going back to what I said about, you know, the challenge, challenge mindset and thinking about what challenge do you want to work on, seeing that there's opportunities to um, tackle their challenges they're interested in in such a variety of ways and a variety of challenges. So being able to see that kind of come together, whereas if it's just kind of focusing on one or two employers are not getting the full scope of possibilities to impact um, the impact that you want to make. And I'm even thinking of like a lot of the, a lot of um, students that I see are really focusing in on, you know, climate change and sustainability issues and wanting to impact that. And I think every organization has kind of their own way of dealing with that or their own setup. Um, and so even just showcasing that in a variety of ways to attract those young people, I think would go a long way. Again, going beyond just, you know, here's our company name and here's what we what we do or what we sell a little bit more about what we're all about. And here's the different ways that we impact, you know, this this planet that we live on, even if we want to take it that far and that broad. Yeah, I, it's it's funny because, I mean, we were we were talking earlier about, um, you know, when we bring in uh, a, a younger job seeker or and I, I keep mentioning younger job seekers, and I should mention that this is not exclusive to younger job seekers at all. Um, you know, there's countless instances of people whether they're transitioning to a new industry or something um, who can become a, a a leader. In fact, you you know you may have a, a very good chance that they do become leaders because they've had that experience working in other industries and working with different teams. But um, to talk about, for example, graduates. Um, you know, you, you kind of, I, I challenge you to go find uh, a recent graduate who doesn't want to go change the world, right? Um, they, they have ideas. They think that they can do a lot. And I find a lot of the times that they probably can do quite a bit. Um, so, you know, it's, it's definitely, uh, good to have them in, into, bring them into your organization and, and show them the, the opportunities that are around and then giving them the ability to, um, kind of grow and and become those leaders that they they believe they can be. Um, so I want to transition really quickly because we did mention also that we have um, a retiring workforce. They're, they're going to be here for a few more years and then, you know, we're going to see a bit of a shortage um, or, or a, a more of a shortage, I suppose. But while we still have them, how can we bridge the gap between that retiring workforce and those coming into an organization, how can you leverage um, those senior roles to foster the younger, the the perhaps more new roles? And uh, just just so everyone knows, N Nicole has some tech issues. 
um, and she did run the Careers Now uh, mentorship series. Um, so I would have been jumping back to her on that one, um, but I do know we have a wealth of experience uh, on this panel still, um, which is uh, very, very fortunate. So, um, uh, Carolina, you wanna, why don't we go with you first on this one? Sure, yeah, no, what came to mind was again, that the mentorship piece, get them involved in mentorship. I think, you know, I can't speak for everyone. And I'm, it's funny because I'm kind of like halfway into my career and I consider myself still pretty young and relatable. But then when, when the students start talking about TikTok and stuff, I realize how old I actually am compared to them. Um, but I feel like I'm one of these people that, that wants to make an impact and that, um, you know, the yearning for flexibility and work-life balance, real work-life balance with jobs really matters to me. Um, and so what, I, well, anyway, I'm, I, I'm digressing. What I'm thinking of is, is get them involved in the mentorship. Like for some people who have been in their jobs for quite a while, you know, you're kind of used to the way things are doing the same old, same old in a certain way. So wouldn't it be refreshing to get involved in mentoring um, youth or a younger person and teaching them about how and why your work is done the way that you do. But also if you're going to take on that role, being open to hearing their perspective or suggestions, even or their new ideas, because I think they need to feel valued as well. Um, and not just kind of, um, yeah, undervalued or like they're, they don't know anything because they're new, because they do have that unique perspective on kind of technology or new ideas on how to, you know, target products and services to youth. So I think if you're going to get some of those workers involved in the mentorship piece, you need to maybe do a little training or something with them to make sure that they're open to hearing um, the perspectives of the younger generation as well. And that it can be like a real respectful two-way conversation. Um, I think that would be a great way to make use. And I think that for somebody that's been in their role for a long time and feels like they're the expert in, in whatever it is that they're doing, um, that'll feel really good too, to give to give back and share all their wealth of knowledge and all their expertise and feel even more valued in their own roles for the most part. So I think it would be good for both sides. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that reassurance um, must go a very long way. I, I would agree with that completely. What Carolina said about it's really a dis it's really a discussion around mentorship and just professional networks being developed within a workplace. So, you know, if you have an older generation who may be more senior and um, they have probably have different priorities, I think the research tells us they certainly uh, look at their job a little differently. Perhaps they have a little bit more time, a little bit more headspace. I mean, the best way to engage a younger generation is to, uh, yeah, spend time with them and give them an opportunity to figure out what their career path could be or you know, where they can have success. I think it's also like from a completely business perspective for employers, it's also an opportunity to identify those up and coming young, uh, young people that um, can be sort of nurtured in a way and, and developed into leadership positions. So um, not only is it the right thing to do uh, in terms of building a really healthy and robust workplace culture, it's also a good thing to do for employers in terms of identifying future leaders. Mm -hmm. We are um, brushing up on 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 uh, the the time here, uh, so I 
do have one question that I'd really like to ask. Um, and this one's, um, this one's actually for uh, job seekers. I know that we've been jumping back and forth, but I thought that's going to happen anyway. So, you know, let's do it uh, unabashedly. So um, what kind of advice would you give um, to job seekers who are interested in pursuing a career in the food and beverage processing industry? I would say visit www.careersnow.ca. <laughs> I teed that up, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> that's uh that is good advice though. Um like I said that's that's an entire employment suite. Um the amount of resource and and uh support that you can get through that program is phenomenal. Uh and if you haven't seen um the Taste Your Future uh campaigns on on social media, definitely check them out. They're sharing a lot of great interviews with people within the industry talking about what it's like to work uh, at in a uh, food or beverage uh, manufacturing uh, facility in, in Ontario. And it's it's very, very eye-opening on, on some of the really exciting jobs that you could maybe get uh, involved with. Um, so look those up and then go to careersnow.ca um, and see what's, uh, what's available. I also, I also wanted to say, like, to really better understand how this industry can connect with uh, talent, young talent. Um, we are going to conduct uh, some additional benchmark research. We started this in 2016. We looked at the, you know, what are the perceptions of youth, of careers in this industry? We did the same research again in 2018 and found that we had seen a 10% shift, positive shift in perceptions. So um, if all things go as planned, we're going to conduct the research now again in 2023. And uh, not only will we hopefully see some uh, that we've uh, made some improvements there and how we're connecting and the perceptions of youth of the industry, but also start to figure out e with even more detail how we can better engage young talent. Yeah, that's exciting because I, it's, uh, it's always so important to, to make sure that the messages are are getting to who they need to get to and that they're resonating and uh i'm so happy to hear that there's there's been an increase of interest um so that's fantastic uh same question goes to you carolina i'm just writing some notes because i my brain is is working with all sorts of ideas right now <laughs> um i think obviously careers now is an excellent resource to learn about all the different possibilities um but i think that like based on what I see people, students are good at finding information. They're very tech savvy and there's a lot of it out there and it can be very overwhelming. So one of the things I've done over the last few years, I realized as they were coming and I was like, go and do the, now research these careers. Here's, the, here's some great websites and resources you can use to find information. They were coming back and they were, I'm, st I'm still overwhelmed. I still don't know what I want to do. I still don't know. They didn't know what to do with the information. So what I did was I created a a sample of a career information tracker that I share with students now. When you're researching career information, track these key pieces. What education is required? What skills are you using? What questions do you still have? Are there additional certifications or training required? And look back at that spreadsheet and try to find the trends and patterns that are emerging for you so that you can start to make sense of the information for what do you need to get there you know, what are you noticing about these jobs? And the what I love the what questions do you still have 
column, which brings me to my next point, which is, um, you know, you can use a lot of resources that are out there, but ultimately one of the best things you can do is seek out people working in the industry and learn from them, talk to them about their careers and ask them those questions you still don't have the answers to. So you will find a lot of information on job boards or on careers now. What you probably won't find are things like what surprised you the most in this job on your, you know, when you first started, what do people not realize you do in this role? What's the greatest challenge, most satisfying aspect? So pieces you're not going to necessarily read about anywhere. And those are kind of the things that help you decide if that is something that's going to work for you, right? So, and having those conversations allows you to network and make connections and increases the chances that you'll find a job faster too. Um, and allows those organizations to find those emerging leaders as well at, at the same time. So in we call it informational interviewing, having conversations with people <clears throat> who work in the field for the job you're interested in and go and seek them out. I've even said to students, follow companies on Twitter or on LinkedIn because you can learn about upcoming events or workshops or pro professional development opportunities where you can go and just listen. If you're an introvert like me, you may not wanna you know, speak out a whole lot at these events because it's completely exhausting, but you can write down the names and contact information and look these people up on LinkedIn and say, I attended your session. I'd love to learn more. Can we set up a one-on-one -on -one time to chat? That's often easier for some of us who are more introverted. And the last thing I'll say is students need to be reminded they don't know that career services exist. For the most part, we see a small fraction of students, and I think that's across the board at colleges and universities. So making use of these services sooner because, again, it comes down to they just can't wrap their heads around what steps they need to take to decide if a career path is right for them. And that's where we come in. I always tell students, I don't know everything about every job. I'm learning every day. I haven't worked in all these roles. And students come, I'd say like at least once a month, somebody asks me about something I have no idea and I've never heard of that job before. Um, so I'm always learning. But but what we do know is the strategies to find the information in a way that will make sense and allow you to make good decisions. So um, yeah, just encouraging them to seek out those services and talk it through with someone that knows how to help you manage a career plan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's great advice. And uh, I see the common thread there. It seems like it's, it's almost uh, immerse yourself in the actual industries that you're interested in and join the discussions because there's inevitably discussions going on, whether they're, you know, online through digital resources, or you go in person to these uh, meetings that may be available. Um, we are very much brushing up on the time here. So what I will do mercifully is I will wrap things up for everyone and say a very big thank you um, to everyone who is joining us and a very special thank you to Isabel, Nicole, and Carolina for taking the time out of their busy schedules to offer their insight. As we look to the future of the food and beverage processing industry, let's continue to foster the growth of our emerging leaders invest in their potential, and work together to create a thriving and innovative landscape for generations to come. And while on the topic, I encourage you to explore the many employment resources available that we've mentioned here today. We'll catch you for the next segment of the Food and Beverage Processor Forum brought to you by Food and Beverage Ontario next month. In the meantime, take care, everyone.